Hello and welcome to episode 228 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. It's great to be back. And today we have another episode with uh, with a great coach in the squash world right now. Um, over the summer in mid-August, uh, he led the he led Team England's World Junior Team, World Men's Junior Team, to perhaps what many people feel an unexpected victory in the World Team Championships. I'm talking about none other than Josh Taylor, and uh, Josh and I uh, have a great conversation. Um, so yeah, that was a huge uh, win for Team England uh, alongside the Commonwealth Games uh, results. That was probably the biggest uh, piece of squash news to come out uh, this summer. England winning the men's World Teams in France. It was a huge win. Uh, not only that, though, uh, Finley Withington uh, reaching the the final in, in the uh, the men's event of the World Juniors, and Sirhan again uh, losing out to the number one seed in five games, uh, almost winning that fifth uh, uh, in the quarterfinal of the women's. Uh, so a lot to be a lot to look forward to, a lot to be proud of uh, for all the hard work uh, that they put in in the English junior squash scene at Squash England and Josh comes on to talk about all of that. He breaks all of that down uh, in great detail. It's a tremendous chat. We also talk about his squash backstory, and he started coaching uh, well before, uh, well, uh, obviously he played quite a bit, but early on uh, as a player, he got into coaching, and uh, that's paid off. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. Uh, Working with Squash England for the last several years, I think that relationship has just come to an end, and we talk about his time uh, with Squash England and uh, how appreciative he is of the time having spent with them and growing as a coach. We also talk about what he's up to going forward. We talk about a lot of his players, uh, obviously uh, Finley Withington, uh, Serhan, and again, who's uh, now off to Harvard uh, to play with uh, with Mike Way. And um, he talks about the time he spent also in uh, in Manchester as well. So we get into all of that uh, with Josh Taylor. Much more. It's a it's a really in depth and uh, enjoyable conversation that I had with him and I know you're going to enjoy it but before we do I just want to tell you about uh, talk to you about one uh, about uh, our amazing new sponsor uh, they've been with us now for the past little uh, past month almost uh, open squash a New York based nonprofit that is dedicated to growing the game of squash by making it more accessible and affordable to everyone and bringing thousands of new people into the sport. That's an amazing mission, and that's exactly what we need uh, going forward in terms of squash and the growth of the game, and that's exactly what Open Squash is all about. Uh, Open Squash already has a thriving community squash center in the heart of Manhattan with hundreds of members and where over 20% of its members are on some kind of income-based discount. And Open Squash has already signed leases to build and operate two more community squash centers in New York City over the next couple of years, after which it will have 23 courts and counting. Pre-sales and marketing for those facilities will start in the coming months, so stay tuned for that with some income-based discounts. So listeners in New York City, please watch out for more information. I'll be leaving a link to uh, the Open Squash uh, site on this podcast, and and there is a link to it as well, so you can stay tuned for that as 
uh, on there and on their social media feeds. Indeed, uh, we will also be having the executive director of Open Squash, Cleve Miller. He'll be coming on next week with any luck, and he'll be able. We'll be fleshing all of this out with him and much more. But last and not least, Open Squash has developed a close relationship with some of the top leaders of the squash world who share Open Squash's mission. Many of whom who have appeared on my podcast, Mike Way, the incredibly successful coach at Harvard. He's been on the pod a couple of times. He's the senior advisor to Open Squash and visits Open Squash regularly to host camps and clinics when he can. And of course, I can't fail to mention Open Squash is sponsoring some of the game's top pros, including Ali Farag, Gina Kennedy, Nathan Lake, who uh, I have to reach out to have been meaning to have Hope, hope that he will come on the podcast. We've, uh, we've talked about it briefly before. Let's do it, Nathan. Uh, Victor Quint, who's now uh, into the final uh, announce, and he'll be playing uh, Marwan El Shorbagi in the final. So he's uh, off and running here in the new season. Two events, two finals. And, of course, Haley uh, Mendez is also into the final as well, as uh, Nathan Lake, I think, in their respective events, which are taking place in the U.S. at the moment. So all of them are committed to the same mission of making the sport more accessible and each in their own way helping open squash advance their important uh, important cause so again i just want to uh, welcome open squash to the in squash podcast family and many thanks uh, for their support and hopefully uh, we'll be able to flesh out a lot more of what open squash's vision is on the podcast with cleave uh, coming up in uh, in about a week's time. Now, this is episode 228. Uh, this is really a, a great chat. It's a, it's a good one. It's, a, it's an extensive one, so uh, it's a little over an hour, I think. You're going to enjoy it. Josh Taylor, the winning coach from England's uh, World Junior Championship victory uh, in the men's side this August, and also coach uh, to the, the ladies as well, who performed extremely well. Sarah again getting to the quarterfinal of the uh, women's uh, individual, losing out in five to the number one seed. Finley Willington getting to the final on the men's. Uh, so an extremely uh, great summer for them, and we're going to talk about all of that here on episode 228. Doing Jerry, you okay? Gosh. <laughs> hey, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, as well. good. yeah good to see you too. Yeah, you look you, you look just like you do in all on all the uh the England victory photo uh shoots. <laughs> <laughs> probably just a little probably just a little bit older and uh you know a few more wrinkles and gray hairs from that but yeah. That's awesome. That's all. well uh thanks for for doing this Josh and uh before we get started, anyways, I just want to congratulate uh, you and the team on, on a, an amazing uh, victory, a historic victory, uh, as it turned out. Yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah, it was a it was a very good uh, few weeks, and it was like probably probably the most proud moment I've had as a coach. So, uh, yeah, re- really happy with it. It was um, something that I definitely won't forget. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Uh, well, we're, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, we're going to get into to all of that uh, in, a, in a little bit. And uh, there's a lot to, to go through, including your backstory, which is uh, quite interesting uh, in, in terms of my, my re- the research team uh, found. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, but before we get into, into that, 
Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, uh, just talk about the, yeah, basically your, your backstory. I mean, you started, you know, mo- most, uh, most squash coaches, I think, who've been players, start out as players, maybe dabble in, in uh, a bit of coaching and then, uh, then get into it more fully after their playing careers. But it seems to me, and I, I could be wrong, but you, you started your coaching career well, sort of well before you, you got into playing and you dabbled in, in the PSA for a few years and, and then uh, went back into the coaching. So uh, I could be wrong with that, but the, uh, sort of where did your, your squash, squash journey begin? Yeah. And then uh, how, uh, how did you gravitate towards coaching? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, your research is correct. I mean, I've been coaching for much, much longer than uh, I guess it probably would not be normal for my age. Um, you know, I, I probably first started coaching when I was like 14 or something, like helping with my, my coach when I was growing up at the local club uh, with like younger sessions and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was coaching before I was officially a coach, if you know what I mean, just kind of like volunteering and doing stuff like that. So I grew up in uh, in Nottingham. So my coach when I was growing up was a guy called Kevin Emery, um, who coached lots of sort of good young players when we were growing up. Um, probably the best was a guy called Ollie Holland that got to the final of the British Junior Open a couple of times. Like, he was a good player, really good player when we were when sort of um, in juniors. Um, and uh, yeah, Kev probably is one of was my sort of like first influence. Really, um, we played at uh, a local sort of David Lloyd, and then moved to. Uh, a David Lloyd actually just with three courts just in Nottingham in West Bridgeford so I'm, that's where I'm from originally um, and a lot of my early influences were f- from Kev um, Kev was a great coach you know to grow up with I really created a passion about the sport got people enthused about it I think everyone loved loved sort of being around the club and being around Kev he's one of those kind of people really that's kind of infectious and certainly a lot of my sort of core I think people skills as a coach come from stuff I learned off Kev really and being around him um, so we, we played there and then we moved to Nottingham Swash Club when Kev moved there um, which is where Kev's still working now um, but there were lots of good players around when I was growing up so in Nottingham at that time Kev used to coach Ollie Holland that got to find the British Junior Opens and things like that it was good players good players like that there were some older pros around um, that I think all sort of gave back quite nicely, actually. You know, people like Eddie Charlton was around, who was always great, you know, at sort of giving back to the younger players. And I think we kind of all naturally came through there. Deck James was sort of the same age as me growing up. Um, so it's just a nice environment to be around the sport. But my early coaching was all with Kev. You know, Kev got me to help with the younger sessions before my session and all that kind of stuff. And there were, there were older players. I always remember a guy called Sam and Dan that used to coach my session when I was younger, but they were older kids. Yeah, and yeah. I always looked up to them and thought, oh, they're great, you know? Um, so I guess early memories of coaching were always that that was something that you did. You know, you helped out with the, the younger sessions and it was kind of a, a thing that if you were lucky that if Kev said, oh, I think you can come and help me with these, it was it was something that was a, a little bit of a badge of honour. Yeah. Um, so when I got the chance to, I, I you know, I grasped it and uh, I, I loved it. And then, my first proper coaching job was um, Kevin and my mum were having a conversation about trying to get me in doing a bit more coaching and formalising it. And there was a local club with nothing going on in Loughborough, which is my parents by this point have moved out towards Loughborough. Um, and they got me in doing some coaching there. And Kev started off heading it up a little bit and it was always designed to be passed on to me. 
um, and then I, I inherited it um, at 16. I was coaching there with my sort of level one, 17, where I just got my level two. I took it over properly. So I was still at school, you know, uh, I was coaching a couple of nights a week. Um, so yeah, really early, really, you know. Um, and then I, there, there were courts at my my school and they were never doing anything with them. So I started coaching there. I used to coach my headmaster, um, Mr. Lloyd Gareth. I used to coach him for squash oh, lessons and yeah. stuff while I was still a pupil. There's all sorts of stuff like that. And when I went to uni, it was just always a side job that I had going on. And it just kept moving forward, I think. I started working for England squash. I first assisted on sort of regional level squads when I was like 17. Um, and I took over as soon as I went to university, 18, 19, I, I got a phone call while I was away on holiday um, from Tom, Tom, uh, from Tom Duggan, who was the performance director at the time saying, uh, we've got a kind of an opening. Would you be interested? And then I took over as a regional head coach at that point while I was at university um and it just kept progressing you know like there was another job that came you know I got a job at Duffield and it was a bit of a bigger job it was a bigger club um so I took that while I was at uni I used to drive you know like an hour or so to go and coach there um and then when I left university I, I, I was training a lot while I was at university and I wanted to play a little bit um but I always found that the coaching was more enjoyable to me you know and I just enjoyed that more so um as I kind of went through playing, I was I was working hard and I was training hard. And I, I remember doing like some some sprints at my old school's athletics track. And I was like bashing out like a really tough sort of uh, track session. And I remember just having like a bit of a epiphany kind of going, I don't really know why I'm doing this when I'm looking forward to coaching a lot more later on tonight. Yeah. Um, like, and uh, yeah. I spent a bit of time in South Africa. I was applying for jobs and then the opportunity to go into full-time coaching came not long after that in Manchester. And that was probably when I really became a full-time coach um, and everything was about coaching. Um, and uh, yeah, everything just kind of snowballed from there really. Um, and I've done a lot in probably quite a short space of time as a result, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's probably a little bit of the, the older bit of, that story is not mean. Yeah, that's a tremendous backstory. I mean, obviously you, you got your start young and, and you, you, you got a real feel and a real uh, passion for coaching. There was one thing I wanted to ask, and you mentioned one of your, your older coaches, I forget his name, uh, uh, but you talked about the infectiousness of what it was like uh, to have him and your friends being coached by him. What, uh, I mean, nowadays, as you know, you know, we're trying to grow the game and that's part of growing the game is to get people to to love the game. What was it uh, that you found that that particular coach and maybe others that you've uh, been around over the years uh, brought to it that, that created this uh, infectiousness? I just think... Um... I don't. I don't care what level. I think you've got to love what you're doing. You know, uh, wherever that is. Um, so even the best players I've worked with, I think they all absolutely love the sport. And I think if you don't love it, you're not going to go over and above and do lots of stuff. You know, and then do all those hard sessions, all that kind of stuff that you need to do to do, to be successful. I think the love of it has to be at the core of it. Um, and I think Kev was Kev who was my first coach. I think and um, still a really good mate. I think he. he it's just the energy that you give off to other people, the smile, the, the sort of, you know, the, the fun kind of atmosphere that you can create, the laughs and the jokes and all the little bits that add to it. And I think that's something that 
I try to never lose sight of really, even when it gets a bit more serious or you've got something, um, you know, a, a bit more at hand and you're trying to be really successful or you're trying to achieve something that's, uh, you know, not been done for 22 years. Like the world juniors, we were still having fun every second of the way, you know. Um, we were playing we were playing quick cricket before, about 10 minutes before we did the intros. We were playing a little game of cricket, just, you know, like I was yeah. with a squash racket and a ball and I was trying to keep the boys relaxed about it and um, not not sort of get too tense. And we were just messing around, like laughing and joking and stuff. And uh, I think that was probably the most serious probably moment of my coaching to date. Uh, yet we were we were probably just all just enjoying and embracing every bit of it, you know. Um, which I think has got a lot to be said. And I think, you know, across all of our journeys, we all have lots of influences, right? And they, you know, someone like Paul Carter, I've spent a lot of time with in England squash stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he'll be the first person to say as well about enjoying it. And Adam's, you know, got a much larger influence from Carts, who was his coach growing up as well. Um, and, you know, Carts has, has impacted on a lot of us as coaches as we've been kind of um, through the pathway in his role previously as kind of head of coach education. Um, and I think that's the one thing as well that sort of rings true in what he, he does. And I think particularly in these kind of like team events, which I know we're going to talk about, I think that's a big part of it is getting people to to enjoy each other's company and, you know, be relaxed about it. Um, so, yeah, I, hopefully that kind of gives you a bit of an answer to it. But well, there's, always, there's always, yeah, there's always humour, right? I'm just going to add on to that. I mean, uh, I think to a man, uh, everyone that I've spoken to on this podcast and even in my own personal competitive, uh, you know, background, all of our best matches, best results, or you know, the best matches that we've played mm. have been built upon that kind of situation where you know you you've been just sort of joking around before the match. You know, you know, getting ready in your mind, but you know, relaxed, and and you, then you get on court and you're not too nervous about it. You just go out and play your game. I mean, I, I uh, my biggest win in my limited uh, squash career. I, I just come out of juniors. Uh, for three, four years, couldn't beat anybody. And then I just remember being in the locker room and and uh, we were, a bunch of guys, we were talking about Eddie Murphy jokes. I don't know if you know Eddie Murphy. <laughs> right. yeah. we just going, you know, all these funny things that he would do. And then I went on the court and I beat this guy that had never beaten in like five years. And it was mm. just, it was just, uh, it had to have been the fact that mm. I went on court and had no, you know, it was just, went out and I had a good time. And, and that it just result. kind of keeps you relaxed, right? Doesn't it? You know, it keeps you relaxed and probably puts things back in perspective a little bit, you know, and, and uh, clears the mind. You know, like uh, stress in these things, you know, always clouds the mind, doesn't it? And uh, a lot and of the time, trying to sort of get that the, away. Cricket. The, the, the cricket, the guys must have loved that. Oh, yeah. And I, I was loving it. I mean, I was bowling them out, you know, really easily. Um, you know, because I used to play quite a bit of cricket as a kid. And they, I think they were kind of amazed at my, yeah, yeah. My googly was having them in all sorts of uh, tangles. But yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. It was, um, but yeah, it was kind of like one of those small snippets where you kind of look back and you go, well, yeah, it definitely kept them relaxed, you know. You know, just before that, Egypt had switched their order and uh, we were sort of dealing with that. We sort of reset what who was playing who and who was going to have to play who. And then we, it, we were getting delayed on. And uh, it was a, there was a bit of a delay before we got called out. And it was sort of like dead time, which is terrible. Like dead time is like just time for you to overthink things, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was – I don't even know why we did it. We just did, you know, but it was good fun. So, uh, yeah. 
it worked. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. And uh, I think a lot of the people listening, well, I'm, I'm not sure how many, or quite a few people who'd be listening to this uh, would appreciate that type of uh, mentality and that type of approach because, you know, there's a, there's a time for being serious, but then there's also a time for, you know, relaxing and, you know, getting everybody to you know, sort, of, sort of prepare that way as well. So, Yeah, and I think, Knowing the characters in that team, it probably worked as well, you know. Um, so, you know, like someone like Sam was very, very, uh, it's quite serious, actually. And like half the time you're spending trying to keep him quite relaxed and calm. Um, and you've got someone like Finn that would be more, you know, he's absolutely loving that moment anyway, you know, and he's, he's running around and he likes to have like, things going on. So it uh, probably worked for the people we had as well. Um, which is, that's important. I, you've got to know who you've got, you know, in front of you and if stuff's going to work. I mean, calculated or not it's uh you've got to know how people want to respond um and that's the art of a coach as well and actually knowing the people um and knowing who you've got in front of them and how you can make them laugh and how you can make them be serious and how you can bring the best out of them um you know in all the different sort of bits of life whether that's training or competition or whatever you know you've got to you've got to know who you've got in front of you um so uh, and that that takes time you know and i think <laughs> One of the things in coaching, I think I've learned anyway with that is that, you know, you kind of, um, a lot of the time you kind of do your lesson and then they, put, they go, you know, and you see them for 40 minutes, you, you know, show hands, you are a good session and then you don't see them until next week. But I think that's one of the things I've been very lucky about in my my coaching career so far is I've been able to create the time for people um, to actually get to know them. And um, I think that's what potentially unlocks a higher level of results available to people because you really get to know them, you know, um, um, you know, Rob, Rob Owen coaches two of those players, Jonah and Sam. Yeah. And he, I know you've had him on the podcast and I listened to that one not that long ago. I listened to it back, but, you know, Rob's someone that creates a lot of time for the people as well. They come around his yeah. house and you go around, they get, he gets to know the boys really well. Um, and, you know, likewise, all these different people, I mean, they've got to know people. And um, I think that's, that's a part of a coaching journey to learn that you've got to create time outside of just the 40 minutes to actually get to know someone and actually be able to help them properly you know um well, so. well the proof is in the pudding i mean you guys uh, for the first time in 22 years uh won the world uh, team championships now uh just wanted to ask you leading up to the event leading into the event you know the team you know who you've got you've got some very good players but did you think that you had the team to 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 win it uh, beforehand it's a funny question because before I started working for England squash full time five years ago I uh, and I told the boys this after by the way not before I um, uh, I actually wrote down on a piece of paper every England team that I thought we might pick in the time that I was kind of d- in my head I might do you know um, so I picked like six odd years of, of teams ahead and, uh, and I, I actually got all four boys correct in the team and I got the finishing position correct because I put down first as well for that. So, I mean, I've never, uh, maybe I should go into gambling That's or something. something but I mean, that, like, did you read sort of this prophesizing type of thing? Did you read it? Uh, something no, like, no, I, I just, I, something I did anyway, like as part of my job, I was like, right, I'd like to sort of test myself. And I didn't like hold it as gospel, you know, because you've got to look at everything as it's evolving and you, you've got to be open to the fact that you, you know, you might be proven wrong a lot, you know, uh, as a coach, people develop at different rates and all that kind of stuff. But, um, 
yeah, it was just one of those bizarre things that that one was actually correct. Um, and uh, yeah, I need to dig this piece of paper out again because I've got it and I want to put a photo of it or frame it or something because it's. Uh, I think that's probably the best guess I've ever had. <laughs> uh, anything, yeah. you know. Um, so I guess, did I know I had a good team? Yeah, I thought I was going to have a good team coming into this. Uh, I thought I'd have a good team quite a few years out. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and when it came closer and closer, I thought we'd do very well. Um, we we had a, um, in preparing for the event, we had like a few days together in, in Edgebaston, um, just, just the boys together. Um, I went down to Rob's for the day to see Jonah and Sam with, with Rob. Um, just to sort of go over like you know how to talk to them between games and stuff like that and just pick up as much as I could extra before we went just to make sure I was 100% happy with kind of a bit of a handover because I think you know with these team things and whenever you're a national coach you know there's a there's a home coach at home that coaches them and you know Ben Hutton did a lot of work as well with Frankie and uh, with Jonah when Jonah was younger as well and, and in around cor- corals or at home squash and fitness as it's now and, and Finn I see you know every day up here so I've worked with Finn for, for eight odd years now um, but there's a home coach out there that's doing all that work and you as a national coach you're almost inheriting them right and you're trying to put them together and make them work um, so we did a day there and then we did a day in, in Edgebaston the day after um, and you know Adam came up with that we got the whole team together and we spent some good time together but you know I, I said to the boys before we started the second day I said I think I think this is the year that we're going to win it I, I said I think I've got a lot of belief in what you guys have got um, I think to, as a team we've got a really good chemistry you know all of you together get on very well there's quite a lot of nice kind of friendly banter going on you know within the sort of nice realms where they all sort of keep each other in check and they get on and they you know whenever it's going to get hard I said I think we'll pull together well um and we'll respond and we'll rally and we'll get behind each other but I've got a lot of belief that we'll win and then it was interesting because after after the event Jonah actually said to me he said I said I didn't actually believe that we could win it um when we met before that day in, in Edgebaston, he said, and he said, oh, he said all these things. He said, they, they came, they start as they, as it got closer and closer. He said, I started really believing that that was going to happen, you know? Um, and I think it was one of the things I sort of took away from that experience as a coach was actually, you know, you can build a lot of self-belief in people and a lot of belief from using your words and how you sell stuff and how you sort of make, bring people on the journey with you. Um, and that might well be, you know, it, it's their journey. Um, but in this case, it was a team journey, you know, that was going to then go over the couple of weeks and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I sort of that's that sort of stuck home to me when Jonah said to me that after after the final that he didn't didn't believe it could happen until we kind of we talked about it enough. We kind of talked about it so much that we made it happen, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you hear about that uh, a lot when yeah. people talk about uh, you know how how they achieved success. It's like creating that self belief by saying it over and over and over again, right? Yeah, I, I was there was a really I, I was thinking about it back recently, just this last week, and there was a uh, when when I was a younger coach before I moved up to Manchester, I coached the Loughborough University team, which was Loughborough University is a fantastic university for sport, but at the time squash wasn't as strong as it is actually now but it's um at the time it wasn't that strong and we played against nottingham university which had like one of the biggest budgets in university squash in the uk and uh i did something similar there where i sort of said i think we're going to beat them in the cup you know and i I sort of put it down and i sort of built this story up 
I yeah. wrote an article after it actually, and I kind of like because it was like it was an early kind of thing where I'd kind of go actually, you know, you can really in team things for squash they're rare, right? But they happen in university squash. They happen in you know local leagues around in England and. Um, you know, they've taken to very, very varying levels of uh, seriousness and they happen at international level, you know. But when they do happen, you can sort of talk people into a different feel to what it is as, as an individual match going on PSA. Um, uh, I was thinking back and going, actually, that early coaching, earlier coaching memory when I was doing that job, I did something similar and they beat Nottingham and they took them out in the cup and then they went on and did quite well. But a lot better than anyone thought. They, they, we thought we were going to probably get knocked out first round we ended up getting to semi-finals or something. Um, and it was it was the most successful year they'd had for a long time. But it, very similar to the story I kind of sold with the boys and then we went through that journey before mm-hmm. world, world teams actually for the juniors. So yeah, I think Self-belief is huge. You can talk yourself into a lot, you know? Um, and I think that's something that you can never undervalue, you know, just believing in yourself. But actually the detail of how you actually really believe it, that's that's when stuff starts to happen, you know? Yeah, but obviously, I mean, you knew what you had in front of you, right? You wouldn't say that to a bunch of scrubs, uh, you know, like guys like myself, if we put together a team, you'd say, okay, guys. Yeah. It has to be realistic. It? They've got to, it's going to be realistic for them to believe it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I've not seen you play, Jerry. So um, who knows? Who knows? Okay. That's choose. okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's fantastic. Now, now, uh, let's just talk about about the 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 final itself. Uh, Finley uh, uh, took the court first, and he was too loved down. And uh, mm-hmm. just wondering, uh, you know, you you spoke to Rob and, and his uh, uh, other coaches. I guess, uh, you know, in terms of what to say to him between games and you had your own uh, approach as well. So when he was too loved down, um, what was going through your mind? And then how did you sort of uh, transfer or pass that on to, to Finley to get him to uh, to mount that uh, the comeback that would yeah. eventually uh, lead the, the team to victory? Yeah, Finn's... Um... So, so I've known. So I, I coached Finn personally. I've coached him for since he was like ten. So I, I, I know Finn like the back of my hand, or at least I hope I do. You know, um, for the amount of time I've spent with him. But um, it was a weird one because even at match balls down with Finn, I didn't feel like he was ever going to lose, and I, I don't know why that was. But I had this sort of wavering sort of feeling that I like, oh, Finn will sort this out, you know, um, and. Um, I mean, between games, actually, Adam did a fantastic job at Two Love Down of just restarting stuff. You know, I'd kind of like said kind of the game plan and I'd reiterated and I'd tried to sort of spark him up a little bit. And um, yeah, Adam sort of like changed the tune. I think this is where sometimes you can use two coaches between games. Yeah. The coach on the England team, yeah. Yeah, so Adam Adam's worked you know alongside these boys a lot as well, you know, and, and was with me throughout throughout the whole of the team event. And um no doubt you know, to fantastic Adam. Sorry. sorry, Adam. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So like Adam was um Adam was great at that point. And I'm sure Finn Finn would probably uh would, would jump to Adam at that point actually, because Adam came in and I'd kind of reiterated what we were talking about. And sometimes that's where, you know, when you go with two voices between games, I, I wouldn't normally do it that much, you know, and I wouldn't normally encourage it, but Actually, in a team environment like that, where you've got two coaches that know each other really well, like me and Adam D, I think you can play off each other and you, you can use the two voices quite well. And Adam just said to like Finney, sort of said, yeah, you're being really soft here, mate. 
you know, like really, really soft. And like, yeah. and like Finn sort of looked across at him and he was like, I can, I can remember him sort of like looking at me and like, don't call me flipping soft. Like I could tell he was like, it took a bit of a, and, uh, and he was sort of like, but, and then Finn was going, yeah, you know, so like Finn, we've been managing all of them with, um, with a bit of an injury, which he's coming out of, but it, it, we, we'd actually been sort of had him in cotton wool for most of that week. Um, and he was kind of going, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's hurting a bit. And yeah, you could tell he was kind of then actually after he'd sort of been told he was soft, he kind of like was then sort of in this bit with Adam where, yeah, I am soft. And then Adam sort of like told him off again and sort of sparked him up again and just sort of went, well, we, we need you to win here, mate. Like, this is, <laughs> and he sort of. Did you him, agree with him uh, that he was soft? And, and like, like, sort of what, what did you observe that gave you uh, sort of that impression that he was playing soft? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Finn, to anyone that's watched him play, is a very, very skillful player. He likes to take the ball in. He likes to be expressive, you know, uh, it moves smoothly. It's kind of all in kind of a nice kind of bit. But, you know, when it goes wrong there for him, there's a lot of errors that can then come out, you know. Um, and certainly, you know, throughout the event, and it happened in the final against Rowan as well, you know, the, some of the game plans just weren't being executed in quite the same way because he was wanting to take the ball in too early and a lot of this kind of stuff and not, not do the work to the back of the court. Um, and, you know, when your body's hurting a little bit, to be fair, that that can be tough, right? To actually, you know, stick to something and, and stick to your plan ahead of you, um, be rigid in it and, and execute it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's where Adam just drew it back in a, a sort of little sort of way of sort of sparking him and changing the tone a little bit and... Um, which, you know, takes a lot of skill to use your voice and sort of capture someone and, you know, the words that you use to sort of just spark them up. And then that opened the door for us to reiterate the game plan that we had, that we knew would be successful against Torquay, having watched him a lot and understood what we were trying to do. And uh, and then Finn delivered on it, you know, and he delivered on it and it, it sort of the match turned. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just had this unwavering confidence in him that he wasn't going to lose that match. I just knew he was going to win that match. Um and uh, I don't know, uh, throughout all of that, I, I guess me, myself, I had self-belief in what was going to happen as a coach. So as much as I was, you know, squirming at some of the stuff, I, I knew that it was going to turn and it, it did. And I guess that maybe that rubs off on people as well. You know, and I think Adam was I in was the same way. I was thinking like, I mean, you want, you have the self-belief, but you have to transfer that over to, to the player who might be going through a difficult time. Uh, mm. which uh, seemed to be the case for uh, for Finley, but you managed to to do that, yeah? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that match turned and then and then it went to Jonah at that point, uh, you know, after it had all turned and, uh, well, and it just completely the, flipped. Uh, the, the whole thing with the, the – they changed their lineup, right? Like the, the guy that yeah. they, they inserted there was a Salman Khalil. He – I guess you might yeah. not have expected him to be, to, be, to be playing. So what, what happened uh, with that? Yeah, so we, again, like, I, I, I've never normally like this, so please don't take it as I'm some sort of prophet or I'm lying or anything like that. But I, I had this feeling, like, the night before, and I said it to Adam, and Adam will be able to sort of go, right, Josh definitely said this one. But the um, I said, Adam, I've just got this feeling they're not going to play one, two, and three tomorrow. Uh, so I said, I think we need to know what their number four is like. And I actually thought they were going to rest Torquay because they tried to rest him earlier on in the event. And I knew he'd been carrying an injury a little bit from individuals. So, so I just had this feeling. Stop that, you, I mean, Josh, uh, I mean, 
obviously, I mean, they, you, you had this feeling that they, they were kind of worried about you guys. Well, my feeling of them being worried of us in terms of the Egyptian, this goes back to before COVID because we had, um, you know, I, we actually had an offer from, uh, from, it went into Lee when Lee was looking after the junior side as national junior coach that they wanted to come over and play under-19 team when it was like, you know, Sam Todd and Ben Smith and these guys. And we're, we've been getting closer and closer to them. Um, and I, I thought that year might have been the year that it flung. But then obviously COVID came in and it didn't happen. Um, so I knew that they were worried. And, and also, you know, you look at the finishing positions listed in the individuals and it gave you the evidence that actually we were neck and neck, you know, um, in terms of team lineups. Um, you know, when you work it out, it's it's a close fixture. It's always going to be a close fixture. That, um, but the I've known that they tried. So the Egyptians had tried to drop Torquay in an earlier round, um, but they hadn't put their team order in in time. So they'd they'd cocked up a little bit there, um, and then they were forced to play one two three. So if you don't put your order in time, you have to play one two three, and as it's written, you know, it's yeah. it's just a manual thing. It goes in. Um, so I, I'd sort of. I heard on the grapevine they'd tried to do that. So in the back of my head, I thought they were actually going to play Nazar at one, uh, Zachariah at two, and then Salman Clay will come in at three. Um, so I thought that might happen. But then Torquay played exceptionally well in the semi-final. And I thought, well, there's no way they're dropping this fella now. But me and Adam had talked about that. I still got this feeling that something might happen like that. Um, so I'd watched a little bit of him. And then I was checking in my phone, actually, and I was chatting to the boys. I was checking my phone because they, they log, once the orders are logged, they go on the website. Um, and we're actually arguing over which side of the court we were going to be. So we'd put all of our bags down on the right-hand side, which was the side that we'd won on the day before. And we wanted to be on the right-hand side. We didn't want to be on the left. That's and, yeah, just it was just me being awkward as well. And this, the Egyptians came and uh, Motani came, who's the coach, and he was like, we want to be on the right-hand side. And I, I was like, well, you know, like, it's no rules on it. Da, 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 da. And he went, no, we're higher seed. We want to be on the right-hand side. And then Nazar came up to me and, da, 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 and we had this bit of back and forth over who was going what side. And we flipped a coin over it. So the tournament organiser came over and goes, what's going on? I said, well, <laughs> we want to be on the right-hand side and yeah. they want to be on the right-hand side. And he went, well, there's no rules on it. We have to flip a coin. I went, fine, let's flip a coin. Let's, uh, so we flipped a coin. And, and after I'd done that, and just before that, actually, so it's just before that, I'd checked my phone. And I'd seen that they'd put this order in. So I was kind of like, are oh, you playing tricks on us anyway? I'd like, we'd got plan A and we'd got plan B. And plan B wasn't even that because I, I thought they were going to drop Torquay um, if they were going to do it when I was first thinking about it. But then I was the, the semi-final had foxed me. I thought it'd just go one, two, three. But I'd kind of got in the back of my head that Khalil could come in. And they dropped Nazar, and then they'd obviously all moved up in the order. Um, so this thing kicked off. <laughs> so I was kind of a bit annoyed that they'd played tricks and changed their order and not just gone one, two, three anyway. So I was like, I'm on the right hand side. I lost the toss of the coin, so we had to move to the left hand side. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, so I'd got all the flags ready and everything, you know, and I was like, oh, we'll, we'll have to go that side. And uh, yeah, but I think it was an important bit in that because we stood our ground a bit and saying we wanted to be on the right-hand side and we weren't too British in the fact that we just sort of rolled over and went, yeah, it's fine, we'll go that side. Yeah. I think they probably knew, knew right then that, yeah, we, we were here and we wanted to win, you know, well, and we weren't going to just be pushed around. They were worried about the, the uh, what was going to happen going forward, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess... Yeah, so they, I mean, they switched the order. So, so we had a plan for each of them, but um, there were better there were better thought through plans for Jonah to play Zachariah 
Um, and I'd talked to Adam had talked to Jonah about Zachariah. I'd watched quite a bit of them in the individuals and, and Robbie's coach as well had spoken to Jonah about playing Zachariah that, that night in the morning. So we all kind of set up for Jonah to play Zachariah then to get us across the line. So it had it had foxed us a bit. Um, but I didn't have any doubt that Jonah was going to lose. I thought he was going to win. I mean, the day before he, when we played Malaysia, I just had this feeling like Jonah would just run through 10 brick walls if you put him in front of him, you know, with with an England shirt on his back. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, against clearly putting a fantastic performance, but it just wasn't to be. Um, but, you know, I think if you want someone that's uh, going to play for their country, I think Jonah plays, you know, a couple of levels above for his country than he does just for himself. And um, he certainly demonstrated that in a week. But yeah, it wasn't to be. I thought that Khalil lad, he was a lot better than I thought, actually, um, who, who came in. Uh, it proved to be quite a good decision for him because he got the win. Um, so, yeah, I think that was quite clever, actually. Could have could have unsettled the ship at that point. Um, so, yeah. Then you had, was, uh, you know, you had Sam Osborne coming in at, at uh, Wild, coming in at, at number in the decider. So uh, have, having, uh, you know, you made your lineup at that point, uh, what was it about Sam? What is it about Sam that uh, where whereby you would put him in the number three position and, get, you know, basically put, you know, potentially uh, the championship on his shoulders? Yeah. Yeah, so some, so they, so they went on for the number twos. You got Sam against uh, Zachariah. Zachariah, by the way, fantastic individual event. Like at fourteen, he's an unbelievable prospect. I think um, seems a lovely lad as well, which is always good to see. You know, he seems to love squash. Um, you know, I think the boys all kind of grew to like Zachariah actually around the event. You know, sharing a few jokes and stuff with him, but. We had a good uh, we had a good plan for Zachary because we'd seen more of him. We'd seen him go later in the rounds. Um, Rob had watched quite a bit of him with and, and talked to the boys as me and Adam, and I'd spoken to spoken to him quite a lot about Zachary because I think he's someone that could have been dangerous. Um, certainly at three in their order, he he would have been very very dangerous. Um, and obviously, they put a lot of faith in him to play at two, uh, and he'd played well with you know he'd played well enough the day before as well. So the plan had been talked about as a team for him in a lot more detail. So Sam, when the order had switched, he knew what he needed to do. That conversation already happened, but he was probably more ready to play against Nazar. Uh, you know, certainly because we'd sort of lined up for thinking he was going to play against Nazar, um, who is a very different player to Zachariah to play. So that shift probably helped Sam. Um, because it probably settled him down a little bit, actually, because it was probably a bit of a, you know, he probably hadn't overthought playing Zachariah, whereas I think he'd probably overthought playing Nasser. Um, but if you ever want a bit where I was doubting was when it went to Sam. Uh, I thought Jonah could run through brick walls, but I'd seen Sam lose a lot of close matches this season. Um, and I just, if I if I was doubting at any point, uh, and me and Adam had the same conversation. It was like, if it goes to one all and it goes to Sam, we're like, I just don't really you know, know if he's going to be able to put in that performance in that moment. Um, I, I've seen him play exceptionally well when relaxed but in training and exceptionally well you know, in, in lots of different situations, but not in high-pressure situations for quite a bit. 
Um, and it's something that we've talked a lot about actually and just how to relax him and, and keep him calm and, and, and sort of try and not overthink things. And, you know, and I think probably the team environment maybe really supported Sam in that because the other boys are having a laugh and a joke and probably stop him from being as serious as he is when he's just by himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I, I, in the back of my head, I was like, I know a lot of these matches where Sam just hadn't shown up. So I, I'd started to go, Jesus, this is where this this could fall apart. Um, yeah. But I didn't show it. Um, you never want to show that. But that was what I was thinking at that point. Oh, no. Um, and from the knock-up, a decent knock-up. And then from the first game, Sam was just playing the best squash I've ever seen Sam play, you know? And yeah. and uh, and we'd had a good chat the day before. He'd lost the day before. Um, and uh, But he'd put in a better performance against Chandran, who he, from when he'd played him at the British Junior Open not that long before. So he played a bit better and he'd, he'd played really well against Jockim as well in the individuals and had a fantastic result there. Where, you know, he really showed, started to show some of his level. And I think he was just relaxing into pressure situations a bit more. And it proved just at the right time. I mean, it, it, absolutely, un, uh, you know, unbelievable performance from him. Best I've seen him play, you know, for the first two games. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, any doubt I had very quickly had disappeared, you know. Um, and I think his squash opened up me believing again in the same way I was and, and I was unwavering again. But, yeah, I mean, blimey, he was, he was, he was very, very good that day. Um, yeah. And he was he was our captain as well, so we'd named him as captain. All the boys had unified in, in voting him as captain, um, and that was a captain's performance. I mean, at two the the third game came on, and uh, the third game the ball had softened up and it started to zoot Zacharia. Um, so the the one thing that stood out in that match was, I think you know I said to Sam, you know, in terms of a coach intervention, I mean, it's the boys' success, but it was, we said, look, you know, you need to change the ball there because the ball needed to just fly away from Zachariah a bit more than it was, um, you know, a bit more pace in it. So Sam was like, yeah, yeah, I'll change the ball. <laughs> you know, I, I collared him as he was coming up. I was like, change the ball. You know, you've got to change it now, otherwise you'll lose the right. Change the ball. And he's got, gone up to the right. Can I change the ball? <laughs> I was like, right, yeah. And I was like, right, we've done that deliberately. The ball needs to do this again. You need to go run away, da 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 and we reset him after Zachary took the third and he reset and played the squash he played. And it, it, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those really good moments at the end, you know. Yeah, where especially everyone, for him, for a guy who, you know, may not have uh, performed in the, in the pressure situations, uh, like you said before, to do it on the biggest stage in the biggest moment of any squash player's career up until, you know, I guess at, at that age, you know, you know, world team championships, deciding match, biggest match of his life. Pretty much. Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah, he was overjoyed. I mean, you, you could see it in the photos and the, the video oh, and stuff. Oh, honestly, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a great photo of them. Um, I mean, it makes me laugh every time, actually, because some Adam ran up to Sam to give him a big hug, hug at the end, and uh, Sam goes to uh, to hold Adam's head and go, "I've done it like this kind of thing." And uh, he actually, he actually poked Adam in the eye at that point <laughs> unintentionally so every time if you look at the photo which has been posted several times um, I've actually got it behind me England Squash sent me a, a thing after um, every time I see it I just see Sam poking Adam in the eye <laughs> but um, yeah Sam was overjoyed as with the team and I mean at the end then uh, I mean I remember having a chat with Sam and Sam said I've bottled every single match all season Josh of any note like 
he was like, flipping heck, I've done it when it mattered though, didn't I? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like I was like, if you're going to choose one, yeah, match, this, is, yeah. this, is, yeah, this is the one. Yeah. yeah. So, bless him. But yeah, it was um, it was a great moment, and obviously it was a it was a good evening with them, and everyone kind of uh, was able to unwind. And you know, like Frankie as well, obviously didn't play the match, but played a great role as in the team and got us there in shape. And particularly when we had body issues earlier on in the event, you know, some. Sam had a few niggles, Finn added niggles. Jonah's body took a toll because he had to take a bit of the weight of the early matches. Um, Frankie did a great job in, in being able to get us to that point as well through the teams, through the group stages, so that we, we were rested enough um, and was great to have around as well. So, yeah, that was uh, that was that match anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, it's great to relive that. And, and uh, I think it really captured... Not only England squash, uh, but I think glo- globally, it really took uh, on a life of its own just because, uh, you know, Egypt has dominated uh, for so long. And for, you know, uh, to see some sort of relative, uh, a bit of parody anyways, uh, to some degree, uh, is refreshing. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, in, in the men's mm-hmm. final, uh, in the individual, uh, jo- uh, uh, Finley Finley got to the to the final loss to uh, the guy from from the Netherlands um, Rowan is that it? Rowan mm-hmm. Dunning yeah, yeah Rowan Dunning yeah Rowan Dunning and uh, I mean it had been uh, since 2004 I think that uh, actually someone from Egypt hadn't won the World Junior Men's Open I think the last person to win it was uh, was James Wilstrup. Uh, Mm-hmm. non-Egyptian to win the world junior uh, uh, men's was James Wilstrip. So uh, what does, uh, uh, in your estimation, is there, obviously there is uh, some parody uh, that's coming uh, right now in the men's game, or do we still have, uh, do you think, do you think Egypt is uh, still right there uh, dominating? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, look, I mean, I am, um... Uh, I think you know it's it's always dangerous, and I think we probably saw that with a few of the players at Worlds. You know, someone like Hamza, where there was a huge weight of expectation on him. It's always dangerous predicting what players are going to do in the future. There's always potential, and there's always what they've got available to them if they decide to maximise it, and how hard they're going to work in the future. But it's all still to happen in the future, so you don't know what that's going to hold. And uh, that's contrary to everything I've said earlier, where I've predicted stuff. But it's um, it's. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got to be really careful with it because I think it can really affect people. I, I, you know, I've, I've come across various different people in my coaching journey that it's affected a lot. Um, this kind of like expectation of stuff and looking forward. But I think it's great to see right now more country flags in the quarterfinals, six different countries in the men's. Um, it was four different in the women's. Um, it was great to see a bit of a mix of that. It's great to see, you know, different countries and someone like Holland, you know, having their first ever winner. Um, as much as it pains me to say it, you know, being English and us being so close, I, that that's great for the sport. You know, it's great for the sport to have different countries up there. I think moving forward, I mean, yeah, he looks pretty good, that Zachariah at 14. So, I mean, there might be an Egyptian flag coming, you know, soon. Um, uh, really, uh, 14 years old to be competing at, on that stage and, and to be that, uh, you know, to be that effective at that age. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. You know, Rowan's got another year, you know, so there's still another year of Rowan, uh, to, to what I'm aware of. He's 17, so he's still got another year. Um, 
So you've got you've got some players who are going to you know come through there a little bit. Um, you know, got a few of the players that are sort of mixing around. If you look down the draws as well, so but it's it's more equal than it has been for a long time. And I think hopefully that's given the rest of the world chance to go. Well, it's not just one way traffic, and it's possible to do. You know, um, you know, if you look into the women's as well, you've got um, you know like Caroline Fouts has got quite a few years from America. You know, you've got a few other girls that are going to mix in. Anat Singh, who's done really well, he's young, went to Commonwealth Games, all that kind of stuff from India. So hopefully, some of these other countries make it a bit more interesting than just seeing Egypt versus Egypt. Um, and I think you know, chatting to some of the Egyptians that I do know, I, I, I think they would probably quite like as much as it pains them to say it, it, the sport needs it. You know, it needs these rivalries to form. It needs crowds in Egypt to support. uh, Is it only Egypt who plays squash? Yeah, I mean, they probably want to cheer a bit louder, you know, and they probably find that really hard to support when they've got two players from Cairo playing against one another. Um, So, yeah, hopefully hopefully it does come through. Um, But I'm just hoping it's opened the door. In the women's uh, junior, uh, I think it's been since, yeah, since 2001, I think it was when Nicole David won the World Juniors. It's been all Egypt except for Amanda Sobe ever since. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all it's, Egypt, it's all in finals uh, except for the one year when Amanda won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's staggering. Obviously, Amanda's got Egyptian heritage as well oh, in there as well. So it's like so it's like <laughs> even there, it's like so. Yeah, yeah I, I just um, I just hope. Hopefully this year it's opened the door to it a little bit more and maybe it makes people believe a bit more that things are possible. Um, and I think I'd seen it coming in the boys' side because this boys' group of Egyptian boys had always been a lot more beatable than some of the others. And, I, and the rest of the world had always been a bit closer as these had come through from under 13s, 15s, you know, pre-COVID yeah. and then up. They'd always been a bit more attainable. And I, I don't know the exact answer for that as to why there's a, a glitch in it, but, you know, I think if you track things back, you know, there's probably probably times when these guys were a bit younger that there was the, some of the troubles in Egypt and there was a bit of the uprising in the Arab Springs and stuff, you know, that probably affected a little bit for how much availability of things maybe. I don't know, like maybe the college scene now is starting to draw really quite strongly from some of the, from the, some of the Egyptian boys in particular, um, you know, that are probably looking at that. And Ali Farag obviously coming through that system has probably, you know, has drawn more of them to it. But maybe that, sets the bar like America sometimes struggle with where the bar and the ceiling is to get to college rather than to be world number one, you know? Um, and maybe, maybe for the majority, maybe that, that, maybe that has affected it a little bit. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a week a year in the, the crop and it just was always just not quite the same talent. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're very good. They're not, they're not bad at all. They ran a straight right to the end, but yeah, yeah they're not, they're not, they weren't unbeatable and we beat them. So um, hopefully the rest of the world can continue to do that now year after year because I think sport does need it, you know? Yeah, definitely bodes well. I mean, given, you know, given the men's individual results, given your result. And uh, if you look at the PSA on the women's side anyways, I mean, you look at the the top 10 in the world and even below, it uh, definitely bodes well because there are a lot of uh, a lot of internationals uh, coming through beyond, uh, besides the, the Egyptians, uh that are uh, they're dominating the top of the game, but it's yeah. exciting times, I think. Yeah, and um, hopefully it continues. Uh, you know, it, it hopefully it is an indication of the future, and hopefully we do see more PSA matches with more countries and more flags, and it becomes a more international sport again than uh, heavily dominated by Egypt. But um, 
yeah, I mean, certainly if I played a small part in, in that little bit of a, a shift, then, uh, you know, and if the boys have achieved something and continue to achieve stuff, then great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, that one moment and what they are going to achieve in the future would be great to watch and great to see, you know. Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, you, you de- uh, I would say you played more than a small part. I mean, people are going to look back at, uh, at this year and say, uh, you know, perhaps it was a groundbreaking breaking moment. And, uh, you know, congratulations uh, for that, man. Uh, really well done. <laughs> um, now, just before we, you've been great with your time. It's almost been an hour here, Josh. Um, it's almost my bedtime, too. Uh, but uh but uh yeah i was going to ask you and there you know every year you hear about it's been going back for for a long time you hear the these allegations of certain countries having you know doctored passports and players being overage and and things like that and it it came i I saw quite a bit of commentary on the social media regarding this and i I don't know i don't want to put you on the spot or anything and i don't know how much you're aware of i'm sure this was talked about amongst you know you and other coaches uh, while you were there, uh, because it's out there. But uh, what what do you know about such uh, allegations, or what what are you aware of, or what can you reveal in terms of uh, you know those allegations? That yeah, were... obviously there was the year, wasn't there? Where there was quite a lot around one of the teams. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly looking at the boys that I was seeing and the girls this year, uh, I didn't feel like anyone was you know playing foul. If you know what I mean to that. Um, you know, they, they all looked, you know, they all looked under 19 to me this year. I didn't feel like there was anything, you know, of note or worth, worth talking about really. But obviously it's a shame when that, you know, when those kind of allegations happen, not just for, you know, if it's fair or not or whatever's happened in the past, but also it's obviously, it's not great for the boys that are playing there that have got allegations against them. So, Well, that's you know, the thing about, just, about the world we live in, yeah. right? I mean, I think squash is so... We're such a tight knit community. I was talking to this to to Sean Che. He has a he has a podcast. It's called the Rally Report, and we yeah. were talking about about this very issue that that squ- uh, the squash media the, the the squash media is basically you know squash site or squash mad. You got a few podcasts, but then it's pretty much the PSA. They they run their own show, and mm. it's kind of. Um, you know, very thin skinned and you can't really, there's not a lot of cr- critical commentary. Uh, mm. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you start to make these types of allegations uh, you know, it, you have to be, you, you hate to be careful about it, but, but uh, a lot of, a lot of times um, you, you don't, you wouldn't really see it out there in, in, in the squash media. Like you, you're not mm. going to see anything out there because it might paint a, a bad picture of the game, which we don't need at this point in time mm-hmm. with, with, you know, going for, for an Olympic bid and, and things like that. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, just wondering, um, is there any, I guess, is there any truth to, to these allegations? Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think the one that happened in the past, I think was investigated and they went down like a, a quite thorough route with it, but you're right about the squash media in terms of, you know, how, we're, we're quite a small world, but we're a, we're a global world. Um, and, you know, I think I find that, I know there's a lot of players that I talk to and I get to see a lot that, you know, they, they feel that as well, you know, that we can we can talk and there's there's a ability to get your voice out quite widely in the squash world quite quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not that's good or bad, I don't know, but like certainly I've seen it affect players, you know, that was why I was very careful, very careful about saying, you know, you know I'm not going to, 
try and shoot a crystal ball into the future as to he's going to be the next world number one or anything yeah. like that. I think you've got to be careful about stuff because it does definitely affect people and it gets to them. I think that's social media and the world we live in and the, the new world that kids grow up in that, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a much more quick and easy way to get stuff out, isn't it? So yeah. there's lots of stuff that can be vocalized. Um, and I know that people, you know, players say it and they're just humans, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you see, yeah. I mean, we've, we've got these squash communities on, on Facebook and on Twitter, the squash yeah. being the most prolific one. And there, there's a lot of, mm. uh, a lot of entertaining stuff on there, but can be yeah. you know, there can be quite a bit of criticism aimed at certain players, and and uh, that's not. I mean, that's stuff you might see in mainstream media in football and and in American mm. uh, football and things like that. But you never ever see anything really negative about any anything regarding squash in squash's so called uh, mainstream media. I, yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, um, but I think the nature of the squash media in that way with squash stories and squash world and all these kind of uh, different groups, um, you know, squash stories, I, you know, I see personally, I see stuff on there and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, the players see it, you know, quite a lot of them watch it and they, they see it and it's how close knit that world is actually. It's very easy to talk to someone that is very high up in the sport or, a, you know, a, a top player and, and it's easy for that message to get through to them in the way we are set up, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I follow squash stories and keep an eye on it and stuff, but I, I very rarely post anything in there because it's, um, I just kind of like to stay as an observer, I guess. But Jamie's just up the road, you know, he's not far away from where I am in Manchester. Yeah, so Jamie Maddox. I've seen him at, yeah, so I've seen Jamie at league and stuff like that. But it's well, um, done a great job with it. I mean, it, it, it really, yeah, it's incredible. It, it the reach it. is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reach is, I mean, it's, it, it's massive, isn't it? And, um, you know, I think, it's got a very useful purpose in the squash world. So, you know, it's great to see people like Jamie doing stuff like that, but yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's one to just, I think we're trying to be careful, isn't it? About what we put out there and, and well, it's, I, I think it's, not just, it's really interesting yeah. because like I, like I said earlier, there's no sort of subject subjective forum or there, there is with squash stories and, and yeah. But outside of that, it just seems like the, the the squash media is quite sort of objective, and and it just gives you the score, it gives you the the what happened during the rally, and blah blah blah. But uh, what we get here in in that forum is more of a sort of a a squash enthusiast's uh, take on it, uh, uh, more of a mainstream approach, I guess. Yeah, I think out of all those squash mads, probably one isn't it that probably tries to put out a bit more sort of yeah. more well, journalist yeah, yeah, type yeah. stuff. Uh, well. yeah. Whereas, but it's um, yeah, it's an interesting world we live in. I, I think it's only going to continue to evolve, isn't it, as the sport gets bigger, hopefully, and uh, continues to move forward. Um, but yeah, be interested to see how that affects it, and you know. Hopefully, we're successful in the Olympic bid and whatever influences come into the world of squash that hopefully grows our sport and makes it bigger. It'd be interesting to see how the media evolves with that as well, um, because it's, it is also very nice how how approachable the top pros are in squash versus a sport like tennis. You know, yeah. and I think that's probably one of the biggest successes and inspirations to some of the young players coming through is the fact that they can train with or see or see down the club. You know, all these top players. You know, um, which is very very different to the world that a lot of sports you know live in so yeah, it's a great sure. feature I had a, of I had a conversation today with joel macon i mean uh, isn't yeah. that 
right before his match. Uh, yeah. The so US, um, yeah. Number what is he? Number seven in the world? I, that that, that yeah. never, never happened. You know, I just, I just have I'm a knucklehead with a podcast, right? So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. I mean, it's great stuff you do as well. You know, it's it's putting stuff out there, and it's it's certainly well needed in our in our world. You know. Uh, well, Josh, uh, now you've been great with your time, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, uh, and I have been remiss because uh, I haven't brought up the females who've done, uh, you know, the English females, especially uh, Saran McGing. I could be mispronouncing that, uh, but uh, hopefully I got it right. And she got to the, through to the quarters of the world juniors and she lost to the number one seed in five close game she was up to one if i'm not mistaken uh, she lost to kenzie iman and this is someone you've been working with uh, uh, during your time in manchester so just talk about uh you know that that event you know how how close she was to a huge breakthrough there and then uh, also your time the time that you've spent with her over the years and then perhaps after that uh you know what it meant what it means to you to have spent that much time in manchester uh, uh, coaching there. Yeah, so like <clears throat> on the girls' side, um, yeah, we, I thought we had some really good chances in the girls' side um, in the individual draw. Um, likewise, in the boys, really, you know. And um, yeah, I thought I thought Sram was unlucky in the quarters. Actually, I thought she got herself into some really good positions. I thought she was playing some really good squash. Um, you know, I, I think in some of those situations, there, particularly, I think going into that fifth game. I think from memory, it went to seven all, and like it just kind of ran away at the back end of a game, which can happen, you know, against some of these top players. But she was right there in the mix against the one seed, and I think slightly unlucky, really, in some of the some of the way it kind of unfolded. But I think that's that's a that's a big learning, isn't it? You know, for for some of these younger players to take with them as to to how they um, how they close out matches and and how some how you sort of get across the line sometimes. Um, but in general, you know. I thought Saran had a really good event. Really proud of what she's achieved. Um, you know, in the run-up to the event, I was working really closely with with her and Finn that are both based in Manchester. And, you know, as you mentioned, I've spent, you know, the last sort of eight years, nine years of my life in Manchester now. Um, five years working for England Squash. And, and previous to that, I was, I was looking after the Manchester programme, um, which, you know, when I made that move to go to be a full-time coach, I kind of was looking for a job or a program to work on where I could sort of get stuck in a little bit. Um, probably naive and as to how much work that takes to, to sort of get things really going. Um, Manchester, when I first moved up, I came into working in the, uh, in the academy. So Manchester Squash Academy, based at the National Centre. Um, and it's always been quite a renowned program. You know, someone like Nick Taylor was like probably one of the first coaches that really set it up and got it moving. Um, and you know it had a had a great history, and I, I was taking on from Chris Lightfoot that's since gone on went on to go and work in America. Um, and uh, I came in knowing there was kind of quite a good job, but I, I had to really roll my sleeves up quite quickly. And uh, I think what I learned and learned a lot. Yeah, there were there was there were as high as I could go, and I just got stuck in. And I think one of the biggest things I learned was like moving away from where my my family were and coming to a city where. You know, I had I had a job that I could get really passionate about and really stuck in. It was like a, a really good portion of my life, and I learned a huge amount about myself and about about coaching. Um, and I think along that way and along that journey, um, you know, I learned how to work with lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, which cities bring. 
Um, you know, we had all sorts of shapes and sizes coming through the door. But I think the biggest thing that I've kind of taken through with me and then it stayed a strand when I was working with England Squash is that, you know, coaching is about the people that you're working with. And I've been exceptionally lucky in that that journey of the last eight years to to meet, you know, Finn Saran that most people know that I've worked with um, on the junior side, you know, exceptionally closely with. And they're kind of like, I see them as an extension of my family. You know, they're people that I, I really, really, you know, love and respect. And I think, you know, outside of that, there's been lots of players that maybe haven't achieved as much or maybe, you know, haven't aren't as high a profile, but, you know, are exceptional friends still and I still have around me and I still get to see and they're still involved in the sport. And I, I take as much pride over those as I have done over some of the others. And I think there's there's people in that journey that have been role models to probably Finn and Saran and whether they realise that or not. But, you know, like I used to work really close with someone called Oscar Beach who got to number one in the country under 17 boys as a junior and, and now is, you know, going on sort of in a career and he's moved to London and stuff and he's pursuing different things. And I think that's just as great. And love it when they those kind of people pop back and they always come and say hello and you get to catch up and, you know, now at the stage of their lives where I can go for a beer with them rather than uh, a glass of water behind the courts. But it's uh, it's quite good fun to, to catch up with them as well. You know, um, so well, I think- where, where do you see Saran going? I mean, uh, in turn, uh, uh, now now that she had sort of this real close taste to the highest level of success that you could probably achieve, beating the the, the number one uh, seeded junior in the world, she came that close. Uh, what did you say to her after and wh- where do you uh, see her uh, taking her squash uh, going forward? Mm. Yeah, I think the two that I've got that I've been working with there, like, I mean, Saran, I think has got, she plays the game in a lovely style, you know, and I think everyone that watches her gets to, to see, that you know, uh, she's a lovely squash player to watch, uh, you know, technically and the, the style of play. I think she set herself up with a great intelligence there about the game of squash. I think when she gets it right, she's got the ability to play to a very high level. Um, you know, coming into Worlds, she won her first PSA event, just the event before, and she's, she was PSA uh, Challenger Tour Player of the Month this month and stuff like that. So I, I think she's set herself up great. Yeah. Top 100 or clo- close to 100 in the yeah, world. Yeah, it's just broken, just broken top 100. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, she's just gone off to Harvard um, to study there. So, like, she's gone on oh, a different okay. journey, you know? So, yeah, like, yeah. again, like, just achieving on lots of different levels. So, yeah, I mean, to be able to help someone. Kennedy, right? So, uh, yeah, she had yeah, this, this, kind of a similar trajectory, but, but like, she, she had won, she was, like, ranked even let, lower than uh, 100. Yeah. She was, like, 200 or 300, and then won, like, seven, eight, nine Challenger Series events in a row. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, let's see where the journeys go. As I said, like, earlier on in this, I think I never like to predict too much, but, like, I think, you know, if people want to achieve stuff, you know, certainly Saran, um, you know, and Finn, who I work with, if they want to achieve stuff on the tour, they're certainly very capable. And I think there's a lot of juniors in England that I was very fortunate to take to this world juniors that I think could achieve a life they want to. You know, also on the girls' side, you've got, you know, Tori and Asia and some of the other girls that I think are really pushing on well. Um, I'd be remiss not to, to sort of mention them and how well they're doing as well. I think, you know, I've you know, been very proud of my time in England Squash to be able to have supported a lot of them. You know, it's, it's, it's been nice over, you know, this time as well to, to be in Manchester and get to see very closely, you know, a few players' journeys. And I think, I think that's one of the things I was going to sort of like say about, about coaching is like I'd, I'd really encourage coaches to try and, 
you know, not not actively, you know, directly just try and get like one individual that you're working with, but do leave yourself open and put yourself out there to work with people because I think that's where you get a lot of learning and when you can sort of build a relationship that's close and genuine and authentic and you can sort of go in that direction with someone, like, you know, you, you ask yourself all sorts of different questions as a coach and I'm sure the players are asking that themselves, but you're opening yourself up to be a really good coach then. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of coaches maybe don't get themselves in a good enough situation to be able to help people unlock what they want to unlock, you know? Mm. Um, I was just wondering in terms of Sarah and like uh, speaking of uh, really good coaches, she's obviously uh, heading over there to uh, Mike way. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I'm just wondering, did, did, uh, did Mike reach out to you or you reach out to Mike in terms of, uh, you know, Sarah and, and your sort of experience yeah, in the, um, in the in the first bits when she was like starting to get recruit, recruited, um, I, I actually left it very much to Saran. She wanted to look after it herself, which I thought was really nice. You know, like I like the fact that she wanted to take responsibility at that step. Um, but there was a couple of bits when uh, Luke, uh, Luke at uh, Harvard and and uh, Mike reached out, um, and you know, I gave gave the usual kind of reference, which reflected exactly what she is as an exceptional person and someone I'm very proud of, but. Um, you know, like I, I knew she wanted to take responsibility for that, and I take, you know, I really respected that. So I let her, and she has, she's managed a lot of this journey on herself, this step, um, and wanted to. So I think, I think there's another bit in that as well. You know, is like respecting where people want to do it, what they want to do as well. You know, it yeah. would have been um, well, very easy for me to to pick up the phone and go, "This is this is the one," and like going really active. But I knew she wanted to do that herself a lot. You know, so. Um, I know if it needed it. This college recruiting, they, I mean, I, I don't know about the squad, the squash side, there isn't as much, uh, you know, information out there, but I'm sure, you know, in terms of the big sports, they, they do reach out to uh, their, their old high school coaches and they really do uh, at that level. Anyways, they, they do really kind of uh, investigate or ask questions and maybe about the, you know, their character. And obviously that's the stuff you, you spoke of in terms of, uh, Saran, I would imagine. Yeah, I think I think you know when I'm looking at these kind of players, when I am talking about what I think and see, and you know, hopefully what they can achieve is like you know that she's someone that's exceptionally hardworking, you know, and I, I see that, you know, I see someone that's clever enough to see the game, I think, being played in the right way that can open up further doors, you know, and I think there are things that you know you can't go too far wrong if you're a good person, you can you can see the game in the right way and how it might be really successful down the line, not necessarily just where you are now, but like you can see something that's a little bit further ahead. Yeah. Um, you prepare to it really hard. You can do well, right? You know? Um, so yeah, so, certainly I hope they, they must have seen some of that in, in her to, to want to go down that route and, um, and support her. And like, I think it will be a really good four years for her now. So yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, it bodes well. I mean, especially coming from from uh, from Harvard or from that from that scene, uh, a lot of uh, talented, uh, high level pros are are coming from that side as as well. So uh, now, before I know you've been tremendous again with your time, Josh. Uh, but before I go, uh, you mentioned that you know squash England now in in the past tense. Uh, you decided to leave or decided to leave squash England. So I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what those years, uh, you know, if you could sum it up for us, that that time with them was like, and uh, you know, uh, you're you're going to be moving on, obviously, and just wondering also, 
uh, in the back of your mind, do you ever consider, uh, speaking of Harvard, do you ever consider uh, maybe taking an opportunity and uh, heading over across the pond for a college gig or something like that? So, yeah, so like my, uh, this was, so this world's gig was a bit of an extended gig for me with England squash. So I left it a few months back. Um, I was very lucky to get offered an opportunity with a PSA as a project manager. So I'm doing a few different aspects there. Um, but it, it was also a sort of catalyst that allowed me to kind of move on to do some some other stuff that I've really wanted to sort of fulfill on a, on, I guess, a personal level with the people around me. Like I've spent the last five years working full time for England squash and it's, it's probably 10 years of total service. And like certainly the last five years, I've been kind of at the helm of the junior squash side with, you know, in the, in the initial phase with Lee Drew, like who did a fantastic job. I think as national junior coach who has moved on himself and it, it's working with PSA looking after the referee side. Um, but I think on a, on a personal level, I've tripped every bit of me into to England squash for five years on, on, on that junior side and, and really worked hard on them. Um, trying to move things forward and achieve greater things. And um, I think hopefully I took a load of people with me and, and they could see what, what I invested in it myself. Um, but I think I'd gone and got to the point where I'd, uh, I'd probably started to achieve what I thought in this chapter I, I, I could achieve with it. And, um, and I was starting to sort of want to fulfill sort of different things, you know, uh, different ambitions. And I think what, what the PSA role allowed me to do because it's it's part-time is it allowed me to set up my own academy and get back to some of the stuff that I was doing when I was doing my Manchester role um and I've kind of been able to do it I've seen you know I think with these kind of like national roles you know you're right at the forefront of everything and it, it is very draining and I think you know on the political side as much as the coaching side and you, you're investing a lot of yourself in it so I always thought if I could get sort of to a point where I'd achieved a lot with it and I could sort of leave it when I was happy with it and I can remember it as a really good portion of my life than I would. Um, and I've been able to do that, thankfully. And, uh, and you know what, like a few weeks back was uh, the ability to sort of leave it in a real high, which I, I you know, oh, it was great. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of taking it and running it, running with it at the moment. I've set up my own academy and uh, I want to try and achieve. So I've got some sort of professional sessions that are happening during the day, which have really taken off. And I've got a group of the pros sort of operating, which is, which is great to sort of, try and fulfill that kind of next section of my coaching journey with, with the people that are around. But alongside that, I've got, you know, three clubs on board that we're sort of delivering the club programs at with, with the team of coaches. And I've got some real ambitions to try and sort of really create, you know, really sort of nice inclusive communities at each of them and mm. grow the clubs themselves. And I think that's probably the bit that I missed a little bit in the England squash role was, you know, previously in my, my Manchester role, as much as I was doing lots of stuff with good juniors like Finn and Saran and Oscar, all these people that I mentioned, like um, I was also, you know, a massive part of building the community and, and having lots of these different outreach programs and trying to grow and use squash as a vehicle there. So I haven't quite got to that section of the business yet um, that I'm trying to get going at all the clubs. I've grown the sort of in the club community in itself, but I really want to start to add on a lot of these different types of projects and. Uh, see what I can achieve with that as well so it's kind of multifaceted and I guess it's uh, it's a vehicle so sort of the coaching entity that I've called it is the club and it's trying to be it's sort of links to everything I'm trying to build in that but um, yeah uh, it's certainly allowing me to play around with my fascination of lots of different things in squash and just try and a vehicle to drive all those things forward and hopefully create 
you know, a, a really, a really sort of better place for the sport in yeah. the areas that I'm in, you know? Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, uh, certainly I'm not shutting the door to uh, never working for England squash again or anything like that. But like, if the right project comes along that I can get my teeth stick into and the time's right for both, then who knows? But at the moment it's, uh, I've got lots of things that I really want to fulfill. Right. On. Um, and no, so, uh, no ambitions uh, to head across the pond. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned yeah. a guy like Nick Taylor. I mean, you've got all these prolific uh, players over there coaching the big, uh, big name schools. And with the resume that you've built, I would imagine that, uh, you know, you'd be uh, someone who'd be sought after uh, if, uh, if an opportunity presented itself. Yeah, I've had a few sort of opportunities in the past. I think if, um, you know, I, I think at the moment I've got this and I'm like really stuck into this and it's probably the next sort of portion of my my life, you know. Um, but, you know, I think in the future, you know, way down the line, you know, after I've achieved what I want to achieve with this, who knows, you know, if the right thing came along um, and it gave me, you know, the, the enjoyment and the thrill out of the coaching that, that I want to seek, you know, then I, I never rule stuff out. But um, yeah, certainly. I mean, look, like, look at a guy like Mike Way, the yeah. old general. I mean, he, he didn't yeah. take the <laughs> until he's, yeah. I don't know, 60s or something? Or yeah. Like, so, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 29, I'm 30 this year, so I'm, I'm, I'm very young and I've got a load of years mm -hmm. to give. And I, I've wanted to give back to English squash. You know, it's been something that's, been a strand in everything that I've done is you know I'm a proud proud Englishman I've been able to do stuff in the UK and I've been able to sort of show and I think there's a stubbornness in me as well to how many people have gone to America that mm. you know actually like you know you can do a really good job here in the UK and I, 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 I'm sort of I have proved that I want to prove that continually but um, you know I think a time will probably come where something comes up that's interesting and caused me a load of headaches to figure out if it's the right thing. But right now, like, you know, certainly I'm really committed to, to what I'm doing. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think, uh, if, if I am, maybe, maybe when I'm 60, Jerry, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that's the, uh, <laughs> the, old, the old general, just yeah. Taylor. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, yeah. I, if I, if, yeah, another 30 years of coaching in me, God knows what, what will happen. But yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you, I mean, you're just coming off a tremendous uh, world juniors and, uh, you've got your, like you said, you're stuck into the new initiatives that you've had. Uh, squash England's been great to you. Manchester has been you know, a fantastic uh, time for you. So uh, it bodes well uh, going forward there in England. So I just thought, thought I'd ask. That's all, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I guess, um, you know, to, to kind of finish, Jerry, I just obviously I'd like to say thanks to everyone that's um, kind of been been part of all of that story I've told, really. You know, um, you know, England Squash have given me the opportunity to do a lot of those things. And, uh, you know, the people in there, you know, David Campion, Lee Drew, that I mentioned that I worked really close with on the junior side, Chris Robertson, or lately has come back involved, and Louise that works on the sort of office side. That impossible to achieve those things. You know, the wider coaching team of Tanya Adam and, and Chris Ryder that's also just left actually that I was working really closely with there. Um, you know, all great people around us. And I think, you know, my time in Manchester, all the coaches, all the players, you know, like without those kind of people, you don't get to experience the things I've been able to experience. So I'm a big believer in sort of saying thank you to people properly. And I think that's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people there that have uh, have given a lot of themselves and helped me to explore and open up different things in my sort of journey over the last sort of 10 years or whatever. So, um, 
Yeah, big thank you to them, really. Um, Because certainly it was a big team effort, the World Juniors, but, you know, you only get the the experiences of life from other people giving to you as well, you know? Oh, for sure. And it certainly paid off. And uh, I want to thank you uh, for your time, Josh. This was really, uh, really great getting to meet you and and getting to know you here through the podcast. And uh, all the best uh, in the next chapter here. Cool. Thanks, Jay. Cheers for your time. Thanks. Well, amazing chat with Joss. Really want to thank him for his time. It was a great uh, conversation. And uh, for a guy that young to have accomplished so much and done uh, so much in the coaching game at his uh, young age is really impressive. Want to wish him all the best now going into a new chapter. Uh, as he mentioned, he's all through with uh, with Squash England, but he's got his uh, his plans going forward. And it sounds like uh, like he's ready to, uh, to keep pushing on. So all the best to Josh and this is like the the second uh, pod in a row where we we've had a, an up and coming coach. Obviously, Greg Gaultier uh, achieved everything you can achieve as a player, and now he's uh, moved on uh, as a coach, and uh, he's got um, he's had success already, extreme success at that, and he's going to keep pushing forward. We've got Josh Taylor. Also, we've got uh, Ben Ford coming up with any luck uh, within the next week and a half or so, and several more. Uh, 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 impressive coaches should be coming on to the podcast within the next couple of weeks so that that uh, that bodes well lots of uh, lots of insight on the game on the pro game on the amateur game junior squash i think we'll have it all covered over the next few weeks when we meet up with uh, with these coaches we've also got some other great guests we've got rob dinnerman uh, coming on he's going to be talking about um, unfortunately the sad loss of two u.s squash legends uh, sam howe and pete bostwick uh, they passed away recently both of whom uh, are hall of fame squash players in the united states and the, and he uh, gives a tremendous tributes uh, to both of them that's coming up uh, next actually I just finished that conversation with rob uh, last night and it was a good one uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the college game or u.s doubles uh, so we're going to have to have him back on uh, in the near future to talk about all of that because there's no one who knows more uh, about that part of the game um, u.s squash and u.s double squash if you're interested than Rob uh, Dinnerman but uh, I really do uh, hope that you listen to this upcoming one with him because it's really interesting uh, uh, stuff on the history of U.S. squash and it dates back quite a few years and uh, these two gentlemen Sam Howe and Pete Bostwick Jr. um, uh, recently passed away and Rob provides a tremendous tribute uh, to them and I hope all of you are doing well I played um, Yesterday, I had a great session, did the uh, drop, no drop game with my partner. Um, So uh, I was playing uh, one rally where I could only have a drop shot. Everything else had to come back uh, deep. And then the next rally, no drop. So it's a bit of a handicap game. And uh, man, uh, it was fantastic. I uh, I love that feeling of just being completely exhausted uh, before you serve, then serving it up and getting right back into it. You love it. You hate it, but you love it, and uh, that's what we love about this game of squash. I hope you're all playing well, enjoying your squash, having fun, staying healthy. We'll be in touch soon. Uh, there'll be uh, the Rob Dinnerman episode coming up, and we've got a few more. Ben Ford coming up, some players, some uh, growing the game uh, episodes. There's lots to look forward to here going forward on the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for listening. We'll be talking to you very soon. Goodbye now.